Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. The Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Real people, real conversations. I am pumped to be part of Have the Conversation. This week, the conversation is all about chronic pain. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you or someone you know has dealt with body pain, chronic or otherwise. Chronic pain affects 130 million Americans and roughly 1 million people worldwide. Searching for answers and solutions on how to live a pain-free and fully functioning life can be difficult. And according to our guest this week, the primary cause of chronic pain is actually misdiagnosis. Dr. Mitchell Yass is a doctor of physical therapy, published author of The Pain Cure Rx, and the founder of The Yass Method. For over 20 years, Dr. Yass has been treating thousands of patients resolving their pain and returning them to full functional capacity. He has stopped thousands from getting unnecessary surgeries and resolved the pain of thousands of others who had surgery that did nothing to alter their pain. Dr. Yash shares with us his method for treating the source and resolving the symptoms in what we can only describe as passion. After listening, if you'd like to connect with Dr. Yash, visit htcpod.com. There you'll find clips and information from all of our episodes and additional ways to get connected. We'd love to have you be a part of the HTC community, so while you're there, be sure to hit subscribe. And don't forget, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching at Have the Convo or Have the Conversation Podcast. When it's this cold outside, I know the thought of having a chili pad might not be that appealing. But did you know the chili pad is capable of maintaining a temperature of 55 degrees all the way up to over 100 degrees? No matter what temperature you prefer to sleep at, Chili Sleep products can help you achieve the best sleep you've ever had. Their products are scientifically backed, and firsthand I can tell you I've had one for about two years now, and sleeping when I'm traveling or not at home is actually a legit struggle because I'm totally spoiled. I can't unknow how great it feels to keep my bed at a perfect 70 degrees all night, and I'll never go back. Go browse their products at www.chilisleep.com, that's C-H-I-L-I-S-L-E-E-P.com, and use the code HAVETHECOMBO for a discount at checkout. That's have the combo, all one word, for a special discount on your Chili Sleep products. Sweet dreams. Well, we love your passion. We love your passion. That was why we wanted to have you on yeah. here. So we're really, really thankful that you're here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I appreciate any chance I have to spread the, the information. I assure you, everything I say, when you look at it, is so logical, so pure in its understanding that it can't be disputed. And yet, when you look at what happens to people, people are literally coerced into surgery. Mm -hmm. They are never told, they are never presented the information that says, well, from an analytical perspective, I can see that I need the surgery. No, the person says, go get three other opinions and we're all going to say the same thing, whether it's true or not. And then all your friends are going to say, well, you should get it because everybody gets it. And so they end up getting this thing, not because it was justified, but because they were pressured into it. Yeah. And guess what happens when it doesn't work? Everybody walks away from the person. The doctor says, oh, my surgery was perfect. The friends say, I don't know what to tell you. I thought it was the right thing to and, and where's the person left? Crippled. Yeah. 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 And there's no justification for this. Now, it's a little sick that I'm the only one who seems to have figured this out. Trust me, it's screwed me up pretty bad mentally. But I've come out on the other side, thank God, and I've gained my sanity. But I'm sure there's a surgery for that as well. <laughs> <laughs> probably. Probably. Or the right medication. Yep. But... um this has to be made available. It just has to be. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to go back to kind of the beginning, what, what led you to become a physical therapist. I was on your newly renovated site and, uh, and your about me section, it says it's been a 20 year odyssey of exploration and discovery to get you to this point. Can you kind of explain what that means? Yeah. So To understand how I got here, you literally have to go back to my childhood. So I was the 99-pound weakling guy, the guy who got sand kicked in his face. Very, very bad self-esteem issues. And um, I used to literally be panic-stricken walking to high school, fear that I was going to be beaten up. And so it really affected me mentally. And I said, you know, I got to change myself or I'm not going to survive. 
And I said, what is the thing I hate about myself? And I realized it was how thin I was. So I decided I was going to try to lift weights. Well, from 19 to 26, I tried. And I guess my metabolism was fast. And I just couldn't put weight on. And at the time, I did what every guy does who wants to get muscle mass. You look at Joe Weida magazines, Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff. Well, eventually, I said, I'm going to take a high school physics course and apply physics to weightlifting. I'm going to understand force vectors, fulcrum, lever arms, kinetic energy, and literally apply it to what I'm doing to say, what is the right position for the hand? What is the optimal position I should be in to push against the resistance? And over four years, I put on 40 pounds of muscle. I go from 160 pounds to 200 pounds. Well, at the, that time, I was in my first career. I was a project manager in construction. That's what I thought I was supposed to do. So as I got through that five, six years into it, I kind of became disillusioned. I didn't see any enjoyment in doing it. So I quit that, and I found out about this thing called physical therapy. And I was like, you know, you get to work on people's bodies, but you don't have to go through the full extent of the curriculum, the education to be a doctor, to be a physician. I was like, oh, man, this sounds good. By the way, physical therapy courses are the same as medical courses. You take anatomy, neuroanatomy, kinesiology, all the same stuff, right? And so you're in the class, and you're learning it, and, and some of the stuff they're saying is just like, just doesn't really make sense to me. So finally, you get to the end of your education, which is where you're going to be, you're going to do affiliation. So you're now for the first time, you have someone in front of you. Someone is in front of you saying, I'm in pain. I can't live my life. You need to make this better. And the average person takes their curriculum and says, oh, the MRI said you have a meniscal tear. Well, we were educated to do this. Well, I just asked what I thought was the most obvious question when they were standing in front of me. Could you just tell me where your pain is? And they would point, this is where my pain is. And when they pointed to where their pain was, it became obvious that that place where they were pointing was not where the pain should be. If the MRI identified structural variation, what to create pain. So for instance, a person is told they have knee pain, they're complaining of pain around their kneecap, they get an MRI and it says they have a meniscus tear causing their pain because it was found for the first time at the time they're having their pain, so it's asserted to be the cause. So they say, okay, the cause of your pain is a meniscal tear, we need to treat that. The problem is, is that the knee joint is comprised of two joints the joint between the thigh bone and the lower leg bone, and the joint between the kneecap and the thigh bone. Well, the meniscus lies in the joint between the thigh bone and lower leg bone. So it can't create pain at the joint between the kneecap and the thigh bone. It is literally physically impossible. And yet everybody and their mother is being told that the pain around their kneecap is coming from this meniscal tear. Well, if you understand that that can't possibly be, you got to make a decision. Treat the meniscus like you were educated or treat the pain the person's having. And I start going and treating people's pain and I start recognizing, holy shit, everybody seems to be describing muscular causes. And what an amazing opportunity. I just taught myself four years how to strengthen every muscle in the body through the laws of physics, I think I'm going to try and use that. And I start to use it. And I'm talking about in my affiliations and my first year graduating, and I'm getting people better in a treatment or two treatments. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm onto something. There is something real. This isn't in my head. I'm going to follow this process out. And over the last 28 years, I basically enhanced the understanding and the ability to use this to basically resolve 98% of cases of pain from head to toe. That's amazing. That's the answer. That's how it started at the beginning. And I've never deviated from it. And I, I can attest to your message too, because I'm a personal trainer. Most of my clients are in their 50s and 60s. And I went into it with a kines degree. Um, I got my NASM certification, but it's, you know, it's, 
nothing's the same as when you actually get in front of people and start working with them. I was realizing every single person I was training had some kind of chronic pain and their doctors were just telling them, take Advil, get this steroid shot. Oh, eventually you're going to need a surgery, but we'll hold off as long as possible and just see how long you can take the pain. Right. Um, I had to take a corrective exercise certification just to, it's kind of the Cliff's Notes version of what your message is saying, strengthen the weak areas, add mobility to the program. And it's amazing, amazing the results it can give people. And the best part is when they forget about the pain that they came in to see you with, Oh, of course. you know, and sure. I, so I can attest to that. It's, it's almost like, I mean, it's not magic. There's obviously science behind it, but I'm just shocked that this isn't a core message for people because everyone's struggling with pain. It seems like. Well, if you want to look at the numbers, 130 million Americans, roughly 1 billion people worldwide. Think of those numbers. There's no other medical issue that matches that depth of problem. And think about this concept. If there's a billion people worldwide suffering from chronic pain, you think they're just bad healers? They just somehow didn't get the right treatment, but it's the right diagnosis. They definitely have picked the right tissue to address. It's just they haven't quite found the right way to treat it. You think that's the answer? Clearly, there's a systemic problem. The systemic problem began at the advent of use of the MRI and diagnosing the cause of pain. Does everyone understand chronic pain never existed in the history of mankind? Chronic pain began in the late 1980s and early 1990s, which was followed by the opioid epidemic, which began in the early 1990s. That's when this began. So you have to say to yourself, what changed? What is at the core of why chronic pain exists? Well, the answer is technology, automation, advancements in the way things are done to where not just retired people don't use their bodies as much as they should, 20-year-olds don't use their bodies as much as they should. Chronic pain isn't just an issue of sustained pain for a population, a specific age population. It's the entire population from the 20s to the 90s. So you have to say why. The answer is because automation led to lack of use of the body to where when you do want to try to use your muscles, they're not prepared. So they strain and elicit pain. You then go on, seek care through the medical system, which uses MRIs, which provide structural variations. By the way, I hope everybody listening realizes the muscular causes responsible for 98% of cases cannot show up on MRIs. And there are no medical specialists educated or trained to identify this. So you get treated for a specific tissue in the acute phase, which happens to be the wrong tissue, which allows the true tissue in distress to remain in distress, eliciting your pain basically indefinitely which is the description of chronic pain. It is an oxymoron. Those two words should never go together. Pain should always be resolved in the acute phase. If you get the right diagnosis, the right tissue and resolve the distress of that tissue. I want to know for our listeners, you talk about the four primary ways that muscle causes pain. And can you talk about those and why they wouldn't necessarily show up in an MRI? Sure, absolutely. So let's go through. I'm going to give you specific examples of people that I've treated, and this is the situation they find themselves. I'll show you the path that they end up going if they go through the medical system versus my system. The average person who gets pain right here in the upper tract. Uh, let's say uh, you know you're obsessed with your iPhone or your iPad, and you just can't stop looking at it, which is you know it's become the way of. Now, it's everybody, (laughs) right? So if you kind of look at me from the side, what happens when I do this? I end up bringing my head forward. So what happened was the natural way the body works is that weight of the head should be supported by the cervical spine. By creating this forward head posture, it's creating a load that wasn't designed to work. So certain muscles that support the shoulder and shoulder blade, which also then connect the shoulder blade to the neck and the head, overwork and break down. Ultimately, this muscle is taking below beyond what other muscles should be taking but aren't, and that's why it strains and elicits pain. How would you know its muscle? What would 
be one of the corroborating facts other than I have pain right there. Well, what if I was to press right on that spot? And clearly, I'm not pressing on your spine, right? I think everyone right. acknowledges I'm not on your spine. Between the neck and the shoulder. Mm -hmm. So I press on the spot and you say, oh, yes, yes, that's it. That's my pain. That's called point tender pain, which is to say the tissue I'm pressing on is the tissue eliciting my pain. Now, if that was coming through me, a guy who understands muscle and the recognition of a mechanism, then we're going to treat you by addressing the particular muscles required. You're going to do strength training, cause the particular muscles that are weakened to adapt to greater resistances, thereby getting them strong enough to have a greater force output than the force requirements of your activities, and you're pain-free or fully functional. If you delusionally enter the medical system, this area is kind of considered part of the cervical spine. So you're going to get an MRI, and it's going to find a herniated disc at C4-5. And they're going to say, this is coming from that. Now, if that were true, where would I have to press to incite this? Back of your mind. Your spine. That's right. I have to press on your spine at the C4-5 level, and you say, oh, shit, I just felt that jute there. Well, you could have anybody you want for the rest of your life press on your C4-5 area, and you're never going to feel a jute there right. because it's not referred. It's point tender, which proved that the tissue I was pressing on, which happened to be a muscle, was the tissue in distress. So that poor person, upon getting traction and going for physical therapy and getting chiropractic adjustments and taking prednisone and all these other things will be told, you need a laminectomy, which is taking a piece of the bone away. And that's not gonna work. Oh, I'm sorry, you're gonna need a fusion. And that's one level fusion. Oh, that didn't work, no problem. We'll go to a two level, three level. Oh, that didn't work? Okay, well, now you got to go on pain medicine because I don't know what else to tell you. So you're going to be on pain management, which is synthetic heroin. So you get addicted to that. Or you say, I get sick from that. Okay, what's left for you? There's nothing we can do for you. That's right. So that person ends up living with pain for the rest of their life, never having life. Why? Because nobody in the medical system could recognize the most blindly obvious issue that they just strained a couple of muscles. That's the way the system works. That point tender pain you're referring to, is it also called a trigger point? Have you heard of- Okay, good, good, trigger point. So people like to use that phrase. Trigger point just means that there's a high density of pain receptors in a spot. That's why it triggers pain, okay? okay? You're into muscle, which is good. So let's talk about muscle. Let's talk about- what a muscle looks like normally and what a muscle looks like when it's strained because this will answer that question. Okay. Because there are um, physiatrists whose main purpose is to inject saline solution into your trigger points. So that is the one area of the medical field that believes that muscle can be the cause, but their answer is injecting saline solution into it. So they're never going to address the issue. What would injecting saline solution do? They think it diffuses what you just described, diffuses the trigger point. Okay, covering it up, yeah. But there's a reason that the trigger point developed, right? Mm -hmm. So diffusing it, what does that mean? Unless you resolve the cause of something, the symptom always returns. So you could go to a massage therapist from here to eternity and they could break that knot up. But guess what? You see, that muscle was needed for function. You kind of didn't resolve your muscular deficits yet. So take a while, guess what's going to happen? It's going to strain again, and the trigger point returns. So you have to understand what happens. So muscles basically comprise of two proteins called actin and myosin, and under an electron microscope, literally, one looks like a billion golf balls, and one looks like a billion golf clubs. The golf club grabs the golf ball and pulls, grabs and pulls. So you have a billion golf balls grabbing a billion golf clubs. It's called the sliding fiber theory. So when I go like that and I go like that, what you're seeing are the golf clubs grabbing the golf balls and shortening. Well, that's obviously going to create a lot of irritation. 
So you need a fluid to lubricate it. It's called sarcoplasm. So that's the way the muscle works. Now, every one of your joints has joint capsules surrounding it and ligaments, and they actually have mechanoreceptors on there. So gravity is pushing down on you, and these receptors can sense how much force is applied to you. So when you go to lift something or you stand, it's not magic that your body knows how much force is being applied to you. It's reading it. All muscles have these little springs in them, and they measure how much force a muscle can create. So the reason you stand when you want to stand and not jump or fall is because the receptors in your joint capsules are seeing how much force is being applied to you. The springs are measuring how much they're pushing up. And when they're equal, you stand. That's why you stand. It's because you literally have these two measures occurring. It's not emotion. It's not mental. It's mechanical. It's really happening. So when you go to do something, let's say you need to have your head held up or you're going to reach something. If the brain senses that the spring is measuring not enough force output in the muscle compared to the force of gravity that you have to push against, it thinks you're going to tear the muscle. So the brain says, I can't let you tear the muscle. That's suicide. So it takes the fluid that was acting as a lubricant and converts it to Elmer's glue. It binds the fiber together. When you bind the fiber together, the force output of the muscle cannot be as great as it is. So straining the muscle is the body's attempt to prevent against tearing a muscle. The development of the knot or the trigger point, whatever you want to call it, is occurring because the body is saying, I need to keep that muscle less forceful, so much so that it won't create a force that can lead it to tear because I know its requirement is greater than what it can do. So what you need to do is you can go through the process of massaging or, you know, they have these steroid guns now and the rolling is a billion dollar business. I got all that concept. It's nice to make money. God bless everybody. But what do any of those things do to the core issue? How is your brain going to sense that the force output of that muscle is greater than the force requirement of the activity so that it doesn't think it's going to tear? You got to cause the muscle to adapt to greater and greater resistance. You got to cause the muscle to get stronger. Finally, at that point, the spring in the muscle says, I got this. You don't have to worry. I can do the activity. You're not going to have to worry about me tearing. You don't have to strain me. I maintain this perfect quality of my muscle and we're good to go. That's the essence of what's happening in the body every time someone has pain associated with muscle. There is a legitimate mechanism of understanding forces that are occurring in your body. Every one of the things I talk about are based on empirical learning. So I told you, I, I made this up literally as I'm graduating, and I have nothing to go on based on theory. So I said, well, think of this. Let's say that your quad is weak. You strained your quad. I check the quad. If I press into your quad, it's painful. If I muscle tested, it's weak. And if I flexibility tested, it's short. And I found that that was a factor in, let's say, someone having knee pain. So I massaged the quad. I massaged the knot, as you described, the trigger point. And I melted out. I literally could feel within my fingers that there is no more knot there. I then press on the muscle. It's not painful anymore. I check its force output. It's greater. And I check its flexibility, and it's greater. And I said, I don't understand. What the hell did I just do? <laughs> How did I make a muscle stronger and more flexible and I didn't stretch it or strengthen it? So I had to come up with a theory because these people keep coming in the door. I got to keep trying to treat them. And I want to know that what I'm doing is right. So I created this theory. And it's irrefutable. It literally will be replicated every single time I do it. And is that because once you massage out that pain point, they're not perceiving it as painful anymore, so they're able to put more force? So remember we talked about that that glue binds the fiber together. Mm -hmm. It's bunching the fiber up. That's what you feel. It's hardened, right? They're not as hardened. 
Well, pain receptors run along the length of a fiber. So let's say that a muscle fiber was supposed to be this long and it has pain receptors on it. Now I bunch the fiber up. Didn't I just take those pain receptors and concentrate them into a smaller area? Yeah. That's what ignites pain. I see. So if I then massage it and then suddenly Please release it, I just brought it back to its optimal length again. And therefore the 10 pain receptors are diffused. And well, if I press on the muscle, it doesn't elicit pain. Mm -hmm. And all of that just takes seconds and minutes. It's seconds. So a lot of the stuff you're doing is via Zoom now. Are you getting the person to do this on themselves? Oh, so, okay. So that, that's, a, okay. The next point is, is it required to achieve the goal of the method through massage? The answer is no. And the reason is because what is at the core of why the person's having their pain? The force output of the specific muscles eliciting their symptom is less than the fourth requirement. So as long as I achieve that through progressive resistance, they will eventually get a force output, which is greater, and stop the brain from thinking that it needs to strain and thicken the muscles. So massage is like putting the method on steroids and speeding the process up, but it is not a requirement to resolve pain. So it, it's mostly low-level resistance training to get that muscle. Well, I wouldn't say low-level. Well, like, I, I, I guess low-level as in, like, not lifting a ton of weight. So um, in terms of the resistances used, you have to use what is known as the more perceived exertion. Everyone always asks me the same question. Uh, I'm going to do a session with you. What color band should I buy? <laughs> I, I don't, there is no, it's, it's any band, any band you want. What we're going to do is we're going to use it in a mechanism that develops the right resistance for you. And that is to say that you're going to do 10 repetitions. And at the end of the 10 repetitions, I'm going to say, how hard do you think this is? Zero to 10. 10 feels like you're going to tear a muscle. Zero feels like nothing. Eight is the equivalent of if I said, could you do an 11th or 12th? You'd say yes, but that would be pretty hard. Five feels like if I said, could you do 15 or 16? You would say yes. Okay. So we start with an exertion level of eight. Okay. Eight represents 80% of your maximum effort. It has been established that at 80% of your maximum effort, you can get the most amount of strength with the least chance of injury. So you're going to stay with a set resistance that you established for the exertion level of eight. You are then going to use that. Your muscles are going to adapt. They're going to get stronger. That exertion level is going to go down to five. Once it's gone down to five, it's a representation that at that set resistance, your muscle is adapted so much so you can now get it to apply to greater resistance. So now you're either going to move two inches away from the attachment point to the door, or you're going to shrink the size of the loop two inches, and you're going to bring the exertion level up to eight. You stay there with that set resistance until your muscles adapt. You go down to an exertion level of five, you increase the resistance again. That is the basis of progressive resistance. And that that sounds like physical therapy at its purest. I mean, physical therapy is movement therapy, right? So Yes. <laughs> I guess I, I feel like a lot of doctors, their answer is to restrict range of motion and restrict the exercises that you're doing. But then they send them to physical therapy and they, they're taking them through ranges of motion and doing specific movements. Right. So what makes this so quick for people to respond? So go to the American Physical Therapy Association website. You're going to see that it describes physical therapy as palliative care. Palliative care means that it is not designed to resolve the cause, establish and resolve the cause of pain. It is designed to minimize symptoms, just as massage and acupuncture. So that's number one. Number two. Show me in the doctorate level physical therapy curriculum where weightlifting 101 is. Try to show there, me that. There isn't? That is correct. There's no such thing. <laughs> nothing. It has nothing to do with that. So then the next step is that what do you typically need, certainly in the United States, to go to a physical therapist? You need a prescription, a referral. The referral is from a neurologist or an orthopedist. How did they get that diagnosis? Oh, MRI, which found what? 
a herniated disc, stenosis, arthritis, a meniscal tear, a pinch tear, a structural variation. So you referred to physical therapy based on a diagnosis which came from an MRI which could only find structural variations. Remember, muscular causes don't show up. So you go and you're told to get physical therapy for a meniscal tear, a tear of the meniscus. What, what's the physical therapist going to do about the meniscal tear? Is he going to do a seance over you? Is he going to light candles? <laughs> what exactly do they plan on doing to make the meniscal tear go away? Nothing. They're going to give you some generic nonsense exercise, which has no level of progressive resistance involved. And if you went and you saw 15 people there, you'd see 15 people doing the same exercise. So what they're doing is basically baseless calisthenics, which don't work, which, oh, that's right. When it doesn't work, send you back to the orthopedist who says, we tried something conservative. I see. We did our best. I, I know I'm a surgeon, but I don't like doing surgery. I just happened to do this for a living. So we tried everything to stop the surgery, but it didn't work. So are you willing now to get the surgery? Mm. So physical therapy is basically the default mechanism to justify surgery. That's wow. the reality of it. And then they send you back there after the surgery. That's correct. And it didn't work again. Yeah. It doesn't work again. And guess what? You know how your pain will go the left knee? Well, in three or four months, it's now your right knee. Yeah. Because post-surgery, you have swelling and pain, which is limiting your weight-bearing on the left. So now you excessively weight-bearing on the right, strain the muscles around the right knee. Now you're having right knee pain. Guess what's going to happen now? And about right shoulder, you have a meniscal tear on the right. Oh, my God. Now you need surgery on the right. Oh, when that doesn't work, and now you've got pain on the left side again because now you screwed your right side up for muscles. Now they're going to do one other hip, and they're going to find your bone on bone. Now you get a hip replacement. This preposition of alternating side pains or alternating joint pains is constant. It is a constant globally. And you have to understand the mechanism that's going on and the answer that the sickest perverted part of this whole thing is ask anybody about their pain and they're going to say when i stand when i twist when i bend when i reach when i kneel i have pain but as soon as i sit down i don't have pain so answer me this if stenosis of the spine which the word stenosis only means narrowing don't get afraid of the word it just means shrinkage in the space between. Don't have a heart attack because the word is stenosis, which is their intent, by the way. Someone hears the word spondylolisthesis, you think you just died. Just hearing the word made you die, right? <laughs> spondylolisthesis means that the vertebrae shifts from the back a little bit. Just shifts a little bit. Well, guess what? I could show that happening in as many people without pain as with pain. So why do you think because it was found while you're in pain, it's cause of your pain? It doesn't. It's meaningless. So the key is to use scary phrases, not attempting to explain it in a layperson's way. And because it's found for the first time at the time you're having your pain, that becomes a certain, by the way, you know what that's called? Correlative theory, junk science. So I open my front door. When the sun rises, I could say opening my front door causes the sun to rise. And I could have you both come to my house and I'm going to open my front door and you're going to see the sunrise. And over the next six months, I'm going to have coffee for you. You're going to come over, we're going to have coffee. And every day, I'm going to open my front door and you're going to see that sunrise. You're going to be, oh my God, this guy's God. He must be God. He can make the sunrise. How do we get this guy on our podcast? Incredible, right? How lucky are we? Yeah. You see the insanity <laughs> of that? Well, that's the essence of this. So my answer to you is, would an MRI show for the first time that you have two elbows when you have pain? You do have two elbows. I think you both do. Yeah, checking. Yep, two elbows. <laughs> so you have two elbows when you have knee pain. Two elbows is the cause of your pain. I suggest you have your elbows. Wow. That's the same logic. Same exact logic. That's our sickness. You can see, obviously, I get enraged. Yeah. You, you <laughs> must <know> understand. <laughs> 
This is blindly obvious stuff. You can't deny this. You can't dispute this. It is a fact that the MRI is used based on correlative theory. And I'll give you the other side of this. The theory is that herniated disc was pain. Herniated disc was pain. Everyone, and the planet, if you said, do herniated disc was pain, the planet would say, clearly, yes, right? So if that's true, then what should you find in people who don't have pain? Perfect spines. No herniated discs. That's weird because by 1994, 30 years ago, they did studies, the first study ever on people with no back pain, and 70% were found to have herniated or bulging discs. Seven zero? 70, yeah, that's right, 70, wow. 70%. By somewhere later on, they do a study, and ready for this one? Over the age of 60, those people who have no back pain, 93% are found to have degenerative disc disease. Wow. 93%. So think about this. You have pain. And they do an x-ray, and this is a really common diagnosis. Oh, we found degenerative disc disease. You need to get that treated. So now knowing what I'm telling you, which sounds possible, that you have this more bizarro world degenerative disc disease that causes pain that's different than the other 93% of people who have degenerative disc disease that it doesn't cause pain? That's one possibility, or the possibility is that you're one of the people that basically when they say 93% of the people who have pain, it's actually 93% of the population have it, whether you have pain or don't have pain, whether you have brown hair or blue eyes, you're six foot or five foot, roughly 93% of the population have it, and the pain you're experiencing is simply another tissue that is approximated to the spine, which do you think the latter. Clearly, it's the latter. How, how did someone justify that there's a more special type of degenerative disc disease that causes pain? When 93% of people who don't have pain have it. It doesn't make any sense. I wanted to clarify something because you talked about the benefit of massage, but you kind of laughed at the foam rolling industry. Are you anti-foam roller or how would you use it? I'll put it to you this way. I don't give a shit if you use crap to make your pain go away. I am not a masochist. I do not think that people should be in pain. But you can't sell a product and try to justify that it's resolving the cause of the problem. Don't sell people electric stimulants. Stop the bullshit. You're not helping anybody. So you're saying they're just Band-Aids, essentially? Fix it. I can have you better in two weeks. Yeah. Then screw the stupid foam roller or any of this other crap. Would you like to not depend on that for the rest of your life? Mm-hmm. You know how many people have bought $10,000 beds? Yeah. And all I had to do was resolve an imbalance between their quads and their hamstrings, and they're out of pain. So much for the $10,000 that they pissed away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a scientist. You must understand. I am a scientist. Above my head, you will always see the words established cause, resolved cause. That's the only thing you should care about. That's what the system should be based on. While you're having pain, do whatever the hell you want to minimize it, but shit, get out of pain in the shortest period of time. Yeah. Don't keep using the thing that minimizes your symptom as the idea that you've done something to better. I, I just had this. I just had this uh, fascinating discussion with a cousin who hurt herself. And she fell. She hurt her butt. She then goes to the doctor. The doctor is obviously completely lost and gives up prednisone, which, by the way, is a steroidal anti-inflammatory. Screw up every one of your organs taking that for a sustained period of time. Gave her a shot. Nothing worked. Sent her to physical therapy one time. The guy destroys destroys her, actually manipulated her in some way where she left crippled. And I said, by the way, when the when you left, did the guy say, how you feeling? If I treated you, wouldn't you think the logical question at the end of the treatment would be, do you feel better? Yeah, yeah the only question. Never asked. It wasn't in there. She just left crippled, literally crippled. So she comes out, and now she's telling me she's on unending levels of believing something. 
And she actually said the words to me, and I was actually stunned when she said, I don't know if I'm getting better or not. What a fascinating, fascinating question. I don't know if I'm getting better or not. So I think that's very common. This is like proverbial. This question, if you really get to it, you will understand why nobody gets better. Because all they're seeing is, is my symptom intensifying or diminishing? That's what they're looking at. I say symptom is the result of a tissue in distress. If you think you're getting better, define the tissue and define the intervention that you're using to make the distress of that tissue go away. Taking a leave, what's the tissue in distress? None. Well, your liver now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, in a short period of time, you're damn right. But do you want to understand why chronic pain exists? It's not just on the people providing the service that don't know what the hell's going on. It's the sociological programming that has convinced people to simply think, is the pain intensifying? I'm getting worse. If the pain is diminishing, I'm getting better. No, it's not. You're simply finding masking mechanisms to minimize it. That's all that's happening. The tissue in distress is still eliciting the distress signal. So let's say I, I don't know, sever the nerves to your neck, to your head, and you can't feel pain. <laughs> and I light you on fire. Probably. Can you feel you're on fire? You would have no idea. But you're going to die from being on fire. Mm. So Let's all try to wrap our heads around the idea that pain is part of the body's feedback system that allows you to be aware that something ain't working the way it's supposed to. And guess what? It is that tissue that's not working that's eliciting your symptom. It's not a general symptom. It's a symptom from that tissue. Mm -hmm. So... Every time you have a symptom, you feel anything. If you want to be smart and protecting yourself, you from now on say, oh, something's not right. What does this mean? What tissue would be in the position to create that symptom so I could determine, is there distress and do I need an intervention? I mean, I could go to the most simplest point. Why do you sneeze? Why do you sneeze? An antigen has entered your nose. And so you get an itch, which is the mucosal lining's attempt to create awareness of distress that an antigen has entered, and the symptom of itch ignites an intervention. You sneeze. So you don't just sneeze arbitrarily. You sneeze for a reason. I honestly never knew why we sneezed, so that's That's the answer. That's the answer. So you actually have sensory aspects in your nose. That's how you get oxygen into your lung. So it has to be a very protected area. So if anything enters there that shouldn't be there, it ignites the senses to create a sense of itch, which makes the nose then sneeze. That's how the body works. So pain anywhere is the same. Or the sensation. No, no, it doesn't matter. So obviously there are situations where people would need surgery because the joint is deteriorated or something is not working well. Do you think that's because the muscles have been pulling at that joint or, or it, the joint hasn't been functioning properly because of the muscles over a long period of time? Oh, Did you study for this or something? <laughs> well, Did you prepare? I, I, I'm asking, you honestly, I'm asking for myself. I've got so many clients. That, okay. Sure. <laughs> And this is what people don't understand. So the body was designed. Let's say we look at the knee. Here's your femur. Here's your tibia. And the body designed it so that 100% of the surface area of the femur sits on the tibia. 100% of the surface area absorbs 100% of the force of gravity running through my knee, right? And it's designed that way. So if you sustain that, then the structure works as it was designed evolutionarily, right? It works perfectly. But let's say your quads end up being a little bit stronger than your hamstrings. Your quad is attached to the front. It might shift the femur slightly this way. So now let's say I have 90% of the surface area absorbing 100% of the force. That doesn't sound like a good equation. 
So with that 90% taking the greater force than it was designed to, it's going to push more. And what's it going to do? At the ends of bones are white cartilage, and that's supposed to absorb the forces of the joint. Well, the hyaline cartilage has a greater force than it's required to because there's less surface area taking a greater force, so it wears down. When hyaline cartilage is worn down, bone is exposed. Once bone is exposed, you have the osteoarthritic opportunity to develop two possibilities. Either the bone continues to wear down, as in loss of the curvature of the head of the femur and the hip joint, let's say, or you have hypertrophic bone growth, a bone spur, um, a bunion, you see excess bone developing. It's developing because the forces are not equalized as they should be, and there's a high concentration of force on an area that it shouldn't be. So the body says, I can't let that happen. You're going to fracture bone. So what do I got to do? Create more bone. Oh. So you either get bone breakdown or bone. That's what a bunion is. Oh. Right? Now, Let's go to the Yas method versus the wonderful world of medicine. What are you going to get if you have a bunion? You're going to get a bunion. They accident. shave it, yeah. So they're going to oh. shave that. Now, guess what? In two years. It grows back. What do you need again? That's right, a bunionectomy. And then you're going to, in two years, you're going to need it again. And this goes on and on and on. Have bunions also been caused by, like, the form of our shoes? Being too narrow. Uh, I mean, that could that could be a factor if you're applying too much of an angle where you push them together. What are you doing? You're decreasing the natural surface area of all five balls of the feet that is supposed to absorb the force as you're pushing off your foot when you're going to take a step forward. But this is primarily the answer. So, if you want to stop bunions from ever occurring, or if you want to stop it from progressing strengthen the glute med, the hip muscle, and the muscles that support the arch of the foot. And simply by doing that, you will have your foot weight bear directly under the hip, and you will have all five balls of your feet supporting you. You will never develop a bunion again. Oh, by the way, one little point about the, the genius that's telling you it's the bone itself. Well, the person who weight bears has pain when they step on that foot, right? But what happens when they sit down? Is the pain still there? No pain. So what is it telling you? Is it the bone? If it was the bone, it, would be all it the should time. be 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? It's not the bone. It's the forces applied to the bone. That's what you have to understand. Change the force issue, you change, you address the cause, and you don't have the pain there anymore. Mm -hmm. So for the YAS method, yes, can it be applied for maintenance after somebody sees you initially? Absolutely. So people, people always say to me, how long do I have to do these exercises for? Yeah, same. How long do I have to do these exercises for? Well, I don't understand. How long do you plan on brushing your teeth? How long do you plan on taking a shower? Yeah. How long so do you true. plan on eating? I'm confused. I don't understand. You have no problem maintaining your health of your teeth, your hair, your skin. Oh, let's read every day. Everybody goes, oh, we got to read to keep our brain strong. Oh, but what about the neck down? What's that? What? Neck down? What, what is that? What, what, what are you talking I don't know what it is. I only know my brain. I only know my face. What's that thing? Body? It's as if the thing doesn't exist. It's utilitarian. It's just I was born with it, and it's going to do what it's going to do, and if it breaks down, I'll just get someone to fix it. Okay, if that's your choice. I hate to tell you, I'm 60 years old. I put 60 pounds on. I was 160 pounds. I'm 225 pounds with a 34-inch waist. I could squat 405, straight leg deadlift 405. I bicep curl 80-pound dumbbells. You want a tree move? You just say, where do you want it? When? I'll move the tree for you. You don't ever have to worry about that. Is that your other business? Now, your side hustle? <laughs> you want it? <laughs> That's it. You want to be like me? You got to do the work. You want to be fragile and be ready to collapse every time you have to take the step. Everyone has a choice in life. You got to choose. All I can tell you is that the sociological mindset that the medical system is there to provide you help is absolute insanity, pure lunacy. 
I always describe the four principles of great health. Exercise, diet, proper sleep, stress reduction. You do those types of things. When you end up with a kidney stone, you see it as kidney. What you don't realize is that the elements of disease somehow went through your body and just festered in the kidney. You want to stop the kidney stone. You want to stop the pneumonia. You want to stop the stenosis of the, of the, of the macro valve. Stop disease from entering your body. Yeah. Follow the four principles and stay healthy. That's what we want to try to get to people. So my answer is, by the way, so one point I know that everyone's thinking is I'm going to ask people to exercise every day. That's not true. It's only three times a week. These exercise upon only three times a week. This is a part um, that the fitness industry doesn't quite get. But the idea is that when you're doing that exercise, you're creating micro tears and muscles. You're not making muscle when you're lifting weights. You're breaking muscles down. The next 24 to 48 hours after that is when you actually have the building, an inflammatory response developed. And you have proteins being taken from the blood and then brought into the muscle and more muscle is created. That period of time is not a time to try to strengthen the muscle because it won't be able to create force. It is sore and it will not have force. There's excess swelling in the muscle because it's healing. So that is not the time to try to strengthen and that's why I tell people, everybody is the same. You either work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. But you do not work out every day. The healing portion of strength training is equally as important as the breaking down of muscle. It is critical to understand this. So this is 28 years out now I've been doing this. If you said just before I graduate, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Well, I said I was going to have one or two physical therapy facilities, have a wife and a kid, and I'm going to live a happy life. I have been thrust into this, probably because my father, when I was a boy, taught me analytical thinking. I knew logical thinking. I knew Ohm's law of electricity at eight years old. I had a very bizarre childhood. Like, you're taught one plus two is three, and one plus three is four. He would say, Mitchell, N plus one. What does that mean? <laughs> what is N plus one? It's the theoretical basis for adding one to any number. You must know that. <laughs> Now, that's, that's N plus one. Apply that to every single aspect of life. Yeah. Well. That's the way I was taught. You must understand the theoretical basis for everything to understand how to apply it if it's not given to you. So that was going to be my life in whatever area I ended up landing on. That's my mindset. That's what I was taught as a child. And so... The thing that keeps me going, first off, is I have treated like 15,000 people. And for the average person to say, and by the way, I'm talking not just you had an ankle sprain. I am telling you hundreds of people have come to me, literally saying to me, standing right in front of my face saying, you are my last resort. If you do not resolve my pain, I'm putting a bullet in my head tomorrow. I'm talking about hundreds of people have literally walked up to me and said, this is it. I will not live another day. No pressure. <laughs> you, yeah. yeah. You have to recognize how sobering it is. Okay. When someone's, so someone walks in your door, you don't know what they are, what they, who they are, what their story is. When they walk in and someone says that to you, you are scared out of your mind. And you're so afraid that they're going to ask you about something you don't know about because God forbid you would say, I don't know. And that person kills themselves. You just don't want to be a part of that. So. I always took the attitude, I don't care what they say to me. I'm going to say, come back in two days, and I'm going to do whatever I got to do to figure out what the hell is going on and come up with a theoretical basis, explain it to them, and try to utilize it. And thank God I was always right. Thank God I was always able to protect it. The good news is, is that it drove me in a way that the average person isn't to learn. So I have been obsessed with learning, obsessed with it. So I always have that at the back of my head. No matter what, if I don't fix another person, at least over 28 years, I've done this. But I say to myself, you've looked at it every way. You've tried to prove you're wrong. I, myself, have tried to prove I'm wrong. I don't want to be in a position to be put out there and then say, oh my God, you're wrong. You didn't think this through fully. 
how embarrassing you're going to have to walk away now. And I've done everything I can, and there's nothing wrong. This, I, I affectionately call this thing that sits around me, and it's not me, let's be very clear, I'm just a guy who was given the ability to learn and develop this thing that exists. It is the truth. I describe it affectionately as the truth. I think I was meant to do this. There is no bigger health issue in the world. This just straight out isn't. And you have to understand, when they talk, you go on any of these news stations that they talk about, oh, the suicide rate is increasing, the level of, the, of depression is, and it's, and it's due to COVID? What about before COVID? What about the 10 years prior to COVID? The suicide rates have gone astronomically, grown astronomically, depression, all this stuff. Look at the advent of all the freaking depression drugs that exist. You think that's an accident? You need demand to want to make drugs. So the demand has grown exponentially, which is why you see this happening, right? Well, it's because people are stuck, they're lost, they don't know what to do. And so I don't, do I walk away? How do I, you, you can't walk away. You got to just keep pushing. And why do you think I'm on your podcast? Three months ago, I didn't know about podcasts. It just so happens that a lady that I'm treating who happens to have a master's degree in, in business and a specialty in, in social media says, you know what? You want to get great people to know that you exist. You should become a guest on people's podcasts because <laughs> they already have their listener base. And you can go on. I'm like, well, what does that mean? How do you do that? What does that even mean? And so I say, okay, you want to be on podcasts? Make podcasts happen. Find a way. And I just go, 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 go. And I find these different mechanisms and poof, that happens. So I think if you really believe in what you're doing, you're doing it for that reason. And maybe you are so strong, you were chosen for this. Maybe your personality is so strong that a person who's weaker than you would walk away from this. And those people that you are treating or helping are fortunate enough that you're so strong, that you will not give up because you believe so strongly in what you do. I believe in that concept that God gives those that are strong enough the, the battles that they're asked to fight because they're strong enough. Yeah, yeah we do too. Anybody else would walk on. Yeah, yeah, we totally agree with that. Completely. Chronic pain is definitely an epidemic. And so there will always be a need. And I think the fact that you are so passionate and this is clearly giving relief to so many people, it shows that you're doing the right thing and you're in the right position. So, I mean, we appreciate what you stand for and, and the message you bring and the people you're helping. So thank you. I, I just want to keep going. I, I just want people to realize that just think about the concept should chronic pain exist? Just think about it. Should it exist? And the answer is irrefutably no. The idea of chronic pain should literally, uh, I'm not talking systemic cancer, and I'm talking about neck pain, shoulder pain, knee pain, that kind of stuff. It should never exist. If you recognize that and you're seeking care and you're not getting an answer, how can you not say I'm probably not getting the right answer from the right person. And this is where everyone's stuck from a technical perspective, is that you get the MRI diagnosis or any dystonosis, pinch nerve, or any of that. Because of that, you assume that your diagnosis is pure. It cannot be challenged. Therefore, when I try all these other different treatments and they don't work, what's the problem? I didn't get the right treatment. So they go on and on and on. They never allow themselves to say, maybe it's the wrong diagnosis. Just second guess the diagnosis. It is your one chance of having freedom. Oh, I just realized. <laughs> oh, my God. You, I, I never did the four mechanisms. I got so caught up on my <laughs> usual thing. I forgot the four mechanisms. That's my first question. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I actually did two. So I did two semis. So we had the neck issue, but then we, oh, actually, I kind of talked about them, but not specific. So we have that's one, a muscle causes because other muscles break down. We have the pain at the joint. 
because muscles have weakness or imbalance of the muscles that attach to the joint surfaces, so they become misaligned. So the joint surface is rubbing away, they shouldn't see a pain at the joint, but it's because of misalignment to the joint surfaces due to weakness or imbalance of the muscles that attach. Muscles refer symptoms, which is the famous person who lays on their shoulder and ends up with numbness in the hand. That's not from your neck. That's a muscle called the infraspinatus, the rotator cuff muscle. When you, it's weak, your shoulder can roll too far forward and it overstretches that. It overstretches that. And so it elicits a symptom, which is the referred symptom to the hand. The numbness. When you stand up, it goes away right away, right? So that tells you, could it be a herniated disc? It's saying you get rid of herniated disc by standing up. I mean, again, right. that's psycho, right? Makes no sense. And then finally, <laughs> you have muscles that impinge on nerves, sciatic. Okay. okay. There we go. That's we did it. <laughs> Sorry. I have to get those four. You did out. it. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the beauty of conversations. You never know where they're going to go, right? That's funny. I do have a question. Yeah, oh yeah. For, for people who are listening to this who are in so much pain and who are struggling, I know you kind of said it just a little bit ago, but if there's one message that you could just give to them, what would it be? To me, the most important message for everybody is, I know it sounds heartless and it sounds cruel because you've gone through all these people. Let's make this very clear. I'm not saying anyone is malicious or or has bad will but the reality is chronic pain began roughly 40 years ago if you look at all the curriculums of all the different specialties see if anything has changed from 1970 to 2021 you'll see nothing's changed nothing's changed it's important to understand it so if the curriculum hasn't changed doesn't it make sense that these people may not know what they don't know they're following the curriculums they're educated to there's this new thing that developed. They don't know how to identify it, so they just keep following what they've been taught, right? So my message to everybody is, if you're having chronic pain, you've acknowledged chronic pain shouldn't exist, you've got two choices. Either you got the wrong diagnosis or you got the wrong treatment, right? It's one or the other. So if you've now gone on, and this has been years or, or decades even, and you've tried 30 or 40 different practitioners and treatments and everything. Can't you be willing to possibly acknowledge that maybe it's the wrong diagnosis? And if you go for that, then you're going to possibly be open to, well, maybe this crazy guy is right. Maybe it is muscle. Yeah. And then go for that path and see what that leads you to. Amazing. When I talk about this, and again, I'm not saying the individuals. I am never talking about an individual. Yeah. I am talking about systemically. It is the evil empire. They are Darth Vader. The MRI is the death star. There is just no other way around it. I also think, too, it's running a battle uphill when the solutions that the medical system presents are sit there, take this shot or go to sleep. I'll cut you open and magically your pain's going to go away. I think it's always harder to preach the message of you're responsible yeah. to learn and do the work yourself, like the showers, like the brushing your teeth. Some people just don't have the will or the want to do it. And it, it's hard. I'll tell you what, the best thing for, for us, I actually think that the best thing for me is time. God, let this just keep happening. Let, they've made people now so severe with pain, and they took away their opioids. The, the, part of the reason that, that, that it's the um, suicide rate and depression rates have gone up is because the one thing that slightly softened the level of pain was taken away. And so that's why you have, you know, the, the medicinal um, CBD and the, the pot and all that other stuff. But it, it will never. I mean, it's just not going to work as much as heroin. Let's face it. Heroin's a hell of a I don't know. I can go for so. a joint right now. <laughs> be real honest. <laughs> or some heroin. <laughs> no, but uh, the passion is there. It's palpable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I just, I, you know, I'm going to kind of just keep being me and doing my thing. And That's all we can do. the greatest thing that happened to me personally was um, about two, three years ago, 
being able to detach myself because I was really in a dark, dark place. When you're around suicide and, and people having surgeries that they don't need and you're just, it's like so clear that that's Take unnecessary. Yeah, you, you're just like, I mean, I, I'm serious. I actually would say to God, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you make me have this knowledge and not allow people to benefit from it? And eventually I found this enlightenment and I was able to separate myself. And I believe now that what it was, was I needed to be detached from it. I needed to recognize that whatever glory comes from this is not about me. I am simply as a service to God. I am a conduit to whatever the power is that has given me this understanding. And I needed to be humbled so severely that no matter what happens, no matter what grandeur occurs, it's not me. I'm just doing this as a service to God, to whatever the higher power is that has given me this ability. And so that is what changed my life. That's what's allowed me to be happy and live on a daily basis and simply say, the best thing I can do for my future is have the best day I can have today. So I don't live to the future. I don't look at, I don't know where this is going to be. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that as long as I do my best on a daily basis, I know I'm going to be happy. And it's the best way to serve people that seek me out. And, and I think that's what's happening. I actually think more and more people are going to seek me out. And there's going to be a tidal wave. And I always describe it this way. The medical system is either going to get on top and ride it with me, or they're going to, they're going to succumb to the wave and they're going to collapse. And I do think if that's their choice, they will collapse. I already are, in the pre are preparing to create a, a certification program. Awesome. Which will allow people. Yeah. So let's say that you see the value in this and you want to become a Zoom practitioner because we see it more in the, in the idea of, tr of providing this through Zoom versus um, brick and mortar places. I'm going to have one facility. But um, people will be able to come certified and, and all my sessions are videotaped, which is important for the person so they have that going forward to make sure that they're doing their exercises accurately and understand how to progress resistance. And then you get a four-week follow-up every four weeks. That's how the method works. But people can become certified. And then as the demand grows, I just put more and more people in a position to be able to do this. And the nice part is, what am I telling you? 98% of cases are muscular. Do you need a medical degree to strengthen muscles? No. So do you need a medical degree to be a YAS practitioner? No. Fantastic. Sign me up. That's the beauty. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. This is super informative. It was absolutely my pleasure. I'm always available. You guys are great. You got good energy. And, and just keep going out and doing what you're doing. Yeah, man. Same to you. Stay in the fight. Yeah. <laughs> People need this kind of stuff. All right. Thank we'll you. talk to you I soon. Thanks, it. Dr. Yas. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HDC community. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo. For information on all of our shows, guests, and more, visit htcpod.com. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon. <laughs>